I am so excited to be partnering up with Gorillas again this season. The original sexy grocery delivery app is revolutionizing online shopping. Fresh food delivered to your door in minutes, catering to all your food needs. Operating in nine countries around the world, Gorillas supports small businesses as well as local producers to bring your favorite brands to your door. Run out of wine during the dinner party? Gorillas can sort that. Run out of eggs for your Sunday morning pancakes? Gorillas can also sort that. Don't believe me when I say how great they are? Then download their app and get £10 off your first order when you spend £20. Use the code SEXY10 at checkout and thank me later. Hello and welcome to the Crazy Sexy Food Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Harley-Young. This podcast is all about the love of food and how it plays a part in our lives. I sit down with well-known personalities, food experts, chefs, and people who just love their food to find out all about their life, career, and their favorite tastes along the way. Today I'm joined by Korean American chef, restaurateur, and TV personality, Judy Jew. She is also the author of two cookbooks and was the first female chef on Iron Chef UK. Raised in the USA, Judy's Korean heritage has made her the go-to expert on Korean food in the West, and she has appeared on food shows globally, showcasing her delicious, vibrant, and distinctive cuisine. Having settled in the UK, she rose up the ranks, working for the likes of Gordon Ramsay, and has had a stint at the Fat Duck, before launching her first restaurant venture, Jinju, which opened in London in 2015. Present day, she's the owner of Soulbird, a casual Korean fried chicken concept restaurant here in Canary Wharf. Judy has navigated a highly male-dominated industry, and I cannot wait to hear all about her exciting and inspiring journey. Judy, welcome to Crazy Sexy Food. Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. Um, first of all, I'm here in... Canary Wharf, a place I haven't been to in a really long time. And I love the fact that we are sitting in your Korean restaurant, a place where you also were involved in, obviously in America and here, but um, in sort of the corporate side. It's mm. amazing how life does 360s, <laughs> hey? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, Canary Wharf is obviously known to have for all their city jobs. And I, I come from, from Wall Street, but, you know, and I haven't been here for ages before I was looking at, at the space for a restaurant. So I actually didn't realize how built up it had become and how residential this area is. So um, we thought it was kind of the best of both worlds with like a really strong local community as well as obviously like a very, very um, strong uh, working community that, that commutes out here every day too. Absolutely. No, we were just talking before recording about how many people are buying around here. Yeah. And it is amazing. I mean, even I haven't been here gosh definitely since pre-pandemic and already that's changed yeah. in like two years it's amazing mm. so i wanted to start with a totally useless fun fact yeah. about us that okay. indirectly connects us okay so when i was doing my research about you yeah um i discovered that you were the first executive chef at what was the newly reopened playboy club in yes. london in 2013 i think it was around gosh, that time maybe yeah 
So my mother uh-huh. used to work at the original Playboy Club oh, in no London way. in the 70s, oh. and she was a croupier on the blackjack table. No way! Yeah. Oh my god, so she was a bunny! <laughs> she oh was a bunny girl! So I when I read it. that about you, I was like, oh, I've got to just like That's use amazing. that. <laughs> I know. That's so great. I know, and I loved when they reopened it. I mean, it was mm. so cool. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't what it was like in the 70s but yeah. I think they did a pretty good job of it yeah I mean they, they, they tried to bring that all that like you know 60s 70s yeah. madman yeah. era glamour you know yeah. and um, kind of dressing up and giving it that kind of um, I don't know that, that nostalgic um, yet kind of um, elegant vibe absolutely yeah. yeah so I always start my chats with what did you have for breakfast today um, I don't really eat breakfast. Okay. I, I just have a latte, kind of. So I played tennis at eight. Oh wow! And um, I just picked up a coffee at Monocle afterwards. And is, and <laughs> do you not eat breakfast just because you prefer to? I'm not hungry. You're just not hungry. I'm just not hungry. Fine. Um, so would your first meal be lunch? Yes. Would you eat? And what do you normally yeah. have for lunch? What um, did you have for lunch today? Today I had leftover Thai food. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From, from that was Thai. I think it was like two nights ago actually so two day old Thai food is great I was about to say I bet that actually tasted better than the first so night good. it was so good yeah um yeah, so I kind of do this intermittent fasting thing just naturally because yeah. I'm never hungry in the morning which is bad I guess but I just I don't know because um, everyone says like breakfast is the most important meal of the day but I'm just never hungry in the morning I, I think the mindset has changed as well though like most people I talk to nowadays don't have breakfast really yeah okay. and I think it's kind of I don't know if it's like different lifestyle um, or intermittent fasting as you yeah. mentioned but um, you know some days I'm just not hungry I'm not and I'm not going to force myself yeah, to, to eat, eat because I feel like I have, have to, to have breakfast yeah. like it's just not going to work yeah anyway I um, want to take it back yes. to your childhood you okay. were born and raised in New Jersey in the yeah. US I want to know what life was like growing up what were you eating who was cooking was yeah. food important kind of paint the picture of this Korean household yeah. that you grew up in I mean you know it was it was different back then because um you know, my sister and I were the only specks of color in our school. There were no other Korean or Asian families around at all. You know, it's a very, very white, white, white community, you know. Um, and uh, and um, my mom had to cook everything from scratch because it wasn't like it is now where you can just yeah. buy everything that's that's pre-made. If she, my parents wanted a taste of home, they had to make it, like, themselves. And so... Um, we had this garden and my mom was growing all kinds of things in it and she was fermenting kimchi and everything on the porch underneath you know the deck where it was nice and cool we'd have like jars going and there was always something drying in the garage or something bubbling in the laundry (laughs) I mean there were odors and smells coming from everywhere and I remember we had this picnic table and she would dry chilies that she'd grown in the garden out on it in the sun. And in the wintertime, she used to put those, um, she used to buy chilies and then dry them um, on top of the refrigerator, you know, where the yeah. air is. Yeah. And it's like all oh, hot cool. and dry, you know. Okay. And then um, there's this like um, leaf called a perilla leaf. It's called kidney and it grows like a weed and it used to grow taller than me. And she used to make me go in there and like pick it. And the leaves are quite fuzzy and thick and I couldn't eat it for so many years because I just had this memory of the smell that and, and I was like I hated it I hated picking it and it was just like so overwhelming. what did it smell like it's kind of like it has this like little bit of star anise smell okay. to it um 
and it, it gets into your fingers when you pick it because it's quite furry. Mm, it has you. those like hairs yeah. on it that like peach fuzz, you know. I know exactly. Yeah, and, and then what? So what would you put that into? You make it into kimchi, or you just Got you. you put it in salads. It's just a leaf. You can Fine. eat it raw. You can you can you know uh, make fermented pickle or whatever. Put it into soup stews. Everything. Um, but it was it was yeah. And then the chilies and she grew tomatoes also and and. Um, Trying to think. I mean, I think I tried growing some like watermelon. It never really took <laughs> off. <laughs> but anything that we could get seeds for, we kind of just just put in there, and, and some lettuce and things. And um, yeah. And so, I mean, you, you're sort of growing up in this household. You're sort of saying that you know, if they if you wanted to eat food, you know, Korean food, you had to make it from scratch. So give me some examples of dishes that your mum was making. My mom was making everything. So she was making kimchi, she was making all kinds of soups and stews, Korean barbecue a lot, you know. We had this little tiny grill that was like the size of a shoebox and um, she would set it up in the garage because it was, it was cold, you know, in the mm. winter. And just like a few hot coals and it was covered in tin foil, <laughs> and she would just do like a few little, you know, morsels of, of meat at a time. And I remember just smelling that like sweet smoke waft through the house, and oh. it would lure me down from my bedroom when I was studying. And um, and I come down and like kind of squat next to her, <laughs> and she feed me like little nuggets off the grill. And I guess. I mean, I'm a massive fan of Korean food, and mm. I, I'm going to get to this in a bit, but I actually discovered Korean food when I was living in New York, mm. uh, sort of before it really took over the UK yeah. in the way mm. that I think it's still doing. Yeah. And so I wanted to ask you to sort of dissect Korean food for people that might not understand it as a cuisine. Yeah. You know, and, and I guess the second part of my question is, a bit like we're told that the Chinese food we eat in the West is not so similar um, to Chinese food, to Chinese in, food China. in China. Yeah. Is the food we're getting over here in the UK and in America si like the similar to Korean food in Korea? I mean, of course, because of, of the ingredients that we can get our hands on and, you know, food evolves, you know, um, in the same way Indian food here is not necessarily food that you get, mm -hmm. you get in India. So there's always going to be an evolution and um, an adaptation um, and adoption and, and changing things. Um, but, 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 but there's some things that are quite traditional, you know, that, that are definitely stay true, but everything just tastes better in Korea, obviously, <laughs> you know. Um, and, um, but, you know, it's, it's interesting because when I, when I opened up one of my first restaurants here called, called Jinju, nobody knew what Korean food was. And even the top food critics in this country we're comparing my food to Thai food and saying it missed lime and lemongrass and all kinds of things. It, wow. it was, I know, I was like, if that's your full-time job, have the discipline to just well, look it up, you know? Well, quite. Understand. Also, I would never compare it to Thai food, funnily yeah, enough. Yeah, it's like, look at a map. <laughs> like, we're not tropical, you yeah, know? So it no, was totally. really shocking, you yeah. know? And so it got in a bit of a tiff with, with some of the, um, like, like the food critics and, and journalists and, and things like that. Um, but there tends to be, like, just a lot of ignorance and cultural appropriation and just just real ignorance around the cultural differences in Asia you know um, Chinese food is not the same as Japanese food is not the same as Thai food as Korean food Vietnamese food or anything and you know and people were comparing Korean fried chicken to Thai chicken wings and I kept saying you know that's like comparing Japanese ramen to Vietnamese pho totally you know, they're both noodle dishes, but actually they're from different parts of the world. We have different ingredients. You know, Korea is not tropical. We don't have things like 
lime and lemongrass and coconut and kaffir lime leaves and galangal. We don't grow these things, mm. you know. So it was quite frustrating trying to educate people who I really felt should know better, you know. And um, for the for the average customer, yeah, sure, people would come in and try to order pad thai. We explain to them whatever. But when you're a full time food critic, I'm sorry, but do your homework. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. It's funny. I have the same irritation with the Middle East so I'm half Iranian mm. and I really get frustrated when yeah. people are like oh well Middle Eastern food well hold on but Middle e- the Middle East is not a country yeah Iranian food is very different to yes. uh, Palestinian food which is different to Israeli food Absolutely. which is different to you know Jordanian food and yes. it's just and I totally understand your yeah. frustration because yeah. it, it is ignorance yeah and, oh, and, and people do need to do their job Absolutely. so just but just back to the initial question sort of explain sort of the inherent fundamentals of Korean food because it's not as yes. you said it's not a tropical country no it, it's um it really is its own unique cuisine um and it's it's kind of incredible that Korea kept um its unique identity and language despite you know how many times it was occupied and and and, and all, all the wars you know um and in that sense you know uh if you think about it, like East Asia is even more fragmented than, than the Middle East because we don't share language, we don't yeah. share religion or, or anything. Like, we don't share the basic language at all. You know, Japanese people don't understand Korean mm-hmm. people, don't understand Korean, you know, Chinese people versus Thai people, you know, all of these things. And so um, the basis of Korean food, I think a lot of it's grounded in fermentation. So these ingredients that are fermented, so things like soy sauce, gochujang, which is the fermented chili paste, the tenjang, the fermented soybean paste are kind of the, uh, the staples of it. Um, as well as some spice, you know, like gochukaru, sesame, roasted sesame oil, sesame seeds, um, garlic, ginger. Um, these are kind of the basics of the Korean <laughs> cuisine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I am, as I said, I am an absolutely huge advocate for Korean food, and I was very mm. lucky to be introduced to it. Um, I always remember the year because it was when I was living in New York in 2008 and I made friends with um, a lovely Korean lady who Mm -hmm. I'm still friends with to this day and she took me out to Koreatown and I was introduced to all these bits and pieces that I had heard about but had never tried, you yeah. know. I mean, I think I can't remember if I tried kimchi, but it certainly wasn't anything that I could find in London at the time. Oh, no, definitely but not. even yeah. and we will get onto this. I know I'm sort of up and down with my 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 uh, topics, but you know, she introduced me to Korean fried chicken, which yeah. I mean, obviously changed my life. <laughs> um, and I sort of came back to London, just like you're saying. And I yeah. mean, this is obviously pre Jinju by quite a few years. Yeah. And I was like, where can I find these ingredients? Yeah. You know, there w- it just wasn't readily available, like no. all the Japanese ingredients yeah. were, all the Chinese ingredients yeah. were. So I, I totally, um, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I'm actually going to mention also the style and, and yes. the way that Koreans eat is quite different. Um, okay. Because we have this like sharing plate concept. I'm sure you've seen it if you went in, into Koreatown. You know, you sit down and you order one dish and then, you know, 25 small little dishes will come out much in, in a way of like kind of tapas eating or something. And these small dishes are called banchan and they just come. You don't, mm-hmm. ha- you don't have to order them in, in a traditional setting. And, um, you know, if, if you think about uh, where Korea is located, it's in between China and Japan. And we're the middle ground. And we take the middle ground in the way that we eat also. In China, you get lots of big dishes for everybody to share. And therefore, the chopsticks are quite long. Mm-hmm. In Japan, you have your own little dishes just for yourself. So if you think about a bento box, you have lots of little dishes and yeah. a main. And the chopsticks are the shortest. 
And in oh Korea, gosh, we have lots of little dishes, but they're for everyone to share. So we're in the middle. And so our chopsticks are in the middle and they're usually metal also. I didn't even realize there were different lengths of chopsticks. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, the Chinese chopsticks are the thickest mind. and, and, and oh the my longest. God, you're absolutely yeah. right. I'm just thinking about it yeah. when I go mm -hmm. to, wow, okay. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. Um, and I love that style. I love picking at things. Yeah, so you never um, have FOMO. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you go to certain restaurants and you're like, but I need to order like all three of those yeah. amazing dishes mm -hmm. and you can't because you're yeah. not going to be able to eat them all. So it's always sharing. Absolutely. So as Abby mentioned at the beginning, you did start your adult life as a banker. You were working with Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, and eventually left to pursue the culinary world. What pushed you to sort of step away from that corporate yeah, world? I mean, I think that I, I, I just became somewhat disenchanted by the world of finance, and I really wanted to follow my passion and wanted to build something. I wanted to, to do something that, I, I, that resonated more with with me so I kind of quit and went to cooking school and here I am today the rest is history the rest is um, history and you did yeah. attend the French Culinary Institute you also did stints at food magazines such as Sever and you worked um, at Slow World USA which Sl is Slow Food sorry Slow Food USA yes. Um, discuss your time actually with the latter because that's really interesting. Slow food, yeah. yeah. So slow food is a movement. It's an organization that actually started in Italy, and um, it was all about preserving all of the traditions of, of the table. So not only food but also the traditional way of eating. So this convivial style, sharing a meal with, with somebody, but also um, you know preserving um, kind of slow food. You know, so it kind of was started when. Um, McDonald's opened up in the very historic Spanish Steps area in, in, in Rome and people were protesting because like we don't want this fast food and so this 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 movement kind of started in, in reaction to this like like we want to preserve our the, the traditions of the table and we want to save a lot of the foods that um, are going extinct you know so um, and it's it's kind of interesting because you have to eat them in order to save them so these heritage breeds of birds these heritage um, types of apples um, kind of like you know th that are unpopular but still gorgeous and so like unless people grow them and people eat them and there is a demand like they will literally go go extinct but on top of that it was also about celebrating the traditions of the table and in garden to table eating but also the act of sitting down with somebody and sharing a meal with somebody and not just sitting in front of the tv you know watching something and with one hand in you know a bag of chips and yeah. you know whatever <laughs> so it's it's all about all of the traditions of the table and so i was working at slow food and started the first slow food in schools project um alice waters from san francisco was a big advocate and one of the uh, the um the main um people behind the slow food in schools movement and they opened up the edible schoolyard out in um, Berkeley, California. And I went to that, that, that school uh, just because I was curious. And you know, at the time, um, well, since I was a student at Columbia, I was always tutoring in Harlem, um, math and, 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 and things like this to younger kids. And, you know, and I was always noticing that even though this kid was, uh, even though the school was in Harlem, it was one of the poorest districts in all of New York, everybody was overweight. You know, the kids all had some kind of respiratory problem. Um, you know, diabetes, um, you know, joint problems. Um, and, it, and I was like, if any school needs a slow food in schools project, it's this one, you know. And, and the school in Berkeley is quite 
affluent, you know, like indoor, outdoor basketball courts, yeah, lots yeah. of nice cars yeah. and, and the parking yeah. lot and stuff. And, you know, I was like, this is a school that actually needs this. So I started the first inner city slow food in schools project there. And, um, you know, it was a roaring success. Um, in the beginning, some of the parents, actually the parents used to come to the classes also. Um, it was it was a merit-based um, after-school project, so you had to have good good behavior and you're allowed to come. And I think a lot of the parents came at first just for the free meal, but then they started getting into it, you know, and, and the students really got, got, got into it and we'd had different themed classes and, you know, something as simple as tomatoes. And we'd mm. show them they were, 50 different types of tomatoes out mm. there and, and show the whole biodiversity of, of it all. And, um, you know, the, these kids um, deal with a lot of problems and issues day, day, day to day, and, and neglect is, is one of the large ones. And the average, you know, kindergartner might have like 3,000 words in their vocabulary, and these kids would have maybe 300, you know. And um, I'm not quite sure if that statistic is correct, but it, but it was something yeah. like that. And so we'd also incorporate, you know, like tasting and like describe this, you know. H how does this taste to you? Or like double a recipe. We would put math in there. And so we would try to reinforce all of their different um, kind of regular subjects in school, uh, you know. So it was like vocabulary and math and um you know, uh, reading, like we would read poems that were about tomatoes and um, have them write about things and, and stuff and, um, you know, kind of, um, you know, kind of, and also like the act of sitting down as a family, you know, so we would always say it was, it was family so time, important. you know, because a lot of these kids just never have done that. And we actually got a lot of sponsors and, um, my coworker, she was so great. She had a connection at Mikasa, which is like high-end fine china. Yeah. And they donated like all these sets of like beautiful bone china to us. <laughs> so it was so funny because like we were like, you know, eating in this like cafeteria that it was like not super nice, but and then we had these beautiful oh my gosh, bone china. But it was just nice to actually like eat on real plates yeah. and yeah. to show them that like that you know like mealtime is something to be cherished and celebrated and and um, it doesn't matter how simple your meal is it's it's a special time yeah absolutely and i think that is absolutely incredible what you did uh your t with your time there and i think it's something that's you know globally still needs a lot yeah. of work and a lot of focus would you ever be interested in doing that in the uk yeah i i think um you know the um we're, we're always looking to find a, uh, a charitable cause um, whenever we work, but actually we've, we've um, Solberg, we've aligned ourselves with, with a mental health charity oh, actually wow. here. So we're, we're, I think that's quite topical and on trend and, and um, God, just like a real need for it, you know, like the urgency for it. Very much so, even, even more so over the past, past couple of years. Yeah, right? definitely. And um, unfortunately, you know, um, my, C my COO, Andrew Hales, and I have known a number of close friends and family members who, who have, you know, died of, of, of suicide. And so we felt that this would be a, a good charity to align ourselves with and to um, to raise money for and awareness. So so that is our official charity of That's fantastic. Solberg. Yeah. And I also think there's such an interesting link between food and mental health as well in yes. terms of like, you know, eating to even just feed your soul. Definitely. And, um, it hugs you back, uh, right? No, exactly. And like even touching on what you were doing with slow food, you know, something you, you mentioned about sitting down as a family. Mm -hmm. You know, listen, I, I'm very aware that 
not everyone has a great dynamic within their family and there's a lot of issues and we know what families can be like but the, the simple act of sitting down with someone even yes. if you sit on the floor because you don't have a dining table Absolutely. but to share food with someone I think is honestly one of the most important rituals actually I'm yeah. gonna call it a ritual um, that you can do in your daily yeah. life absolutely and it's a massive bonding experience you know completely and yeah. everything comes out over food you Definitely. know you can talk about the great parts of your day but you can also talk about what went wrong or Definitely. you know your issues or your mm. problems and I think it's um, it's just a, it's a very sort of entry-level way of being able to sit down and not feel too vulnerable absolutely yeah so yeah so yeah. I, I'm very much on board with all the things that you do <laughs> <laughs> so just back to um, sort of your life so you sort of left the corporate world you've decided to pursue your passion um, by the time you'd, you'd sort of um, finished and graduated from culinary school you then eventually moved to London, working mm -hmm. under Mr. Gordon Ramsay. What was that experience like? Uh, you know, actually, Gordon was had moved on to television. Before, so fine, he was, so he was on his way. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't really interact with him at all. Okay, yeah. fine. But you were at loads of his restaurants. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did a rotation through his restaurants. Um, that's where I got to know Chantal Nicholson, who I love and adore, and she's been a massive inspiration since I've uh, had the honor of working with her back then amazing and then at this point obviously for example working with you know on in Gordon's restaurants or whether it was the fat duck these was this was sort of like quite British food at yeah. this point were you thinking about specializing or wanting to open a Korean restaurant no back then I wasn't you know I, I kind of um, felt I was I was a bit scared or nervous about opening up a restaurant it wasn't something that I I was I had on my radar, honestly, and um, if I'm completely frank, it was really like my marriage falling apart that lit that fire under my ass, and I was like, you know, I gotta take this hobby and do something with it, and um, you know, it, it, I was um, ready to move back to the States and everything, and then this opportunity presented itself to open up um, a restaurant, and you know, I thought long and hard about it because I, I was like, I'm here in the UK by myself. I have no close, close friends that I grew up with here. I don't have my family here. Do I really want to stay? And I opted to, um, to kind of just seize the day and took the opportunity to um, open a restaurant. Yeah. And through adversity comes wonderful stories like this. I guess so. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm obviously, you know, very sorry that you had to go through such a difficult time, but you are then approached to open Jinju, mm -hmm. and this is 2015. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say that for me, as like the average customer at that time, um, there was no other Korean restaurant still. And, and that, if we're thinking about, if we're thinking about sort of the timeline that I had started eating Korean food in the 2008. Mm -hmm. I'd come back to the UK. There was no Korean food for me to... I'm yeah. sure there were a, a few in case anyone yeah. starts getting irritated with me. But there was no sort of like mainstream... Absolutely. You know, yeah. a, a place in Soho such yeah. as Jinju, right? Yeah. So when you opened Jinju, did you feel like it was a risk? Were you a oh, bit absolutely. like, oh my God, like, no, is anyone going to want to eat this? Yeah. Or do people and, know about and it? And people didn't understand what it was. Yeah. It's like people still don't... I mean, like they kind of... There's still a lot of Pan-Asian restaurants yeah. around that just throw all of Asia onto a menu, like literally, you know, sushi, yeah. rendang, <laughs> pad thai, you know, I mean, like you name it, it is, it is on there. Yeah. And, um, and so it was a risk, definitely. And, um, you know, definitely the first Korean restaurant that 
had a, a vibrant live you know, bar scene and you can get a great martini and cocktails and a, and a DJ and late night, you know, vibes and yeah. stuff for, for sure, you know, so um, it was definitely, I feel like the first modern, cool Korean restaurants and, and put Korean food on, on the map in the city. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank God. Thank you. Thank, thank <laughs> God someone did it. And obviously, I'm sure people can hear through from the background, we are not recording in a studio today. We are recording from Soulbird, yeah. which is... Um, buzzing. Buzzing, <laughs> which is good. We want it to be buzzing. Yeah. Um, which sort of explain the vision of Soulbird. Um, this, yeah. this particular location opened in August last year. Yeah. And um, so this is uh, our, our one-trick pony, you know, uh, basically, because we, 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 we just do chicken, hence the name. And we specialize in Korean fried chicken. We also have grilled chicken, but this is our quick serve concept. Andrew Hales, my COO, and I have been working together since our Playboy days, over 10 years. And, um, you know, we kind of put our thinking caps together, and he's like, you know what, we've got something with this KFC thing, this Korean <laughs> fried chicken. You know, why don't, like, yes. we've, oh, we, both of us used to do fine dining, and we kind of stepped away from fine dining for a reason, you know, mm -hmm. and... Um, wanted to open up this this concept we've we work great together and um and here we are yeah so it, it's it's fast casual um you know you get a tray and a buzzer Love and it. you know it's cheap and cheerful and yeah. happy days <laughs> right so let's talk about the real sort of main runner the, the, the main front runner here korean fried chicken yes why is korean fried chicken so damn good what is it what is the secret there, there, there are a few different um x factors for korean fried chicken that make it different so um i would say it's a, it's the texture it's the crunch um i mean nowadays it, even if, if you go back to korea there are so many different types of korean fried chicken um like you'll find korean fried chicken that that is more like buttermilk chicken or whatever but Originally, you know, it is a double frying technique to get that extra hard crunch. You know, you want that kind of like shell that yeah. gives you that crisp cracking crunch. And then it's that it's it's that umami factor. It's the sauces. So we take all of our great fermented ingredients like soy sauce or gochujang and make these really delectable sauces. And so you can go a little bit spicy with the gochujang sauce or you can go a little, you know, um, kind of like salty sweet soy ginger and um, it's tossed in that or we, we serve it on the side in case you want to you know dip or, mm -hmm. or drizzle etc and that's what kind of makes it different yeah I'm salivating <laughs> get to get you some yeah no I mean I remember eating my first I think it was like a takeaway box of Korean fried chicken in New York and I remember the first bite I had and honestly it changed my life. And the funny thing is I'm not a massive um, sort of fast food eater. Not, not calling this fast food, but, you know, I don't eat things like McDonald's yeah. and KFC. Yeah. I just, I haven't really been raised on it. I it's, haven't. I, I just I wasn't either, my sort yeah. of thing. So when I ate, when I had this chicken, I was like, this is like the Rolls Royce of like street food. <laughs> yeah. I have no guilt. I know that there's some love been put into this. Definitely. It's not some like batch cooked, yeah. you know, e-numbered up, no. you know, yeah. situation. This is like seriously delicious. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I just think it's amazing. And I mean, I know that we've kind of touched on this a bit already, but do you think nowadays, now mm. that you sort of, you've done all of the sort of, um, you've been in the fine dining world, you've opened up sort of, you know, a high-end Korean restaurant, you now have this fantastic casual dining spot. 
Do you think Korean food is getting the appreciation it deserves in the UK or do you still think we've got a long way to go? Um, I still think we have a long way to go. People are definitely um, curious about it, but I feel that, you know, people just know a few different things, yeah. you know. Kimchi uh, is yeah. kind of like everyone will Kimchi, say, I've Korean got that barbecue, in my fridge. You know, yeah, exactly. And, and, and Korean barbecue and, and maybe some other dishes, but um, people don't really know the, the breadth of, of Korean food at, at, at all, you know? And, um, you know, we have four distinct seasons and so there's a long tradition of soups and stews and people don't really know anything about those dishes. Um, our noodles, um, our dumplings, you know? Um, so I feel that there is, there is a lot to learn and it's getting better, yeah. Absolutely. And looking back on everything that you have sort of put your hand to in your life, what would you say is your greatest achievement? You know, I think it's it's quite rewarding just to um, employ so many people. You know, I think that that's really nice to provide um, people with jobs. is 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 nice to have like a nice viable business and to provide people with a workplace that they look forward to going to every day. Absolutely. Yeah. I mentioned in the intro um, that you have successfully navigated a, a highly male-dominated world, both in the banking world, mm. both, I think, in the culinary world. How, if you have had to overcome adversity, sort of how have you done that? How, how has your experience been as a, as a woman? I mean, as women, we, we're used to it. We don't know anything different. You know, we're always sailing into the wind. We're always climbing uphill. And it's just, you just have to have thick skin and just pick yourself up and try, try, try again and, and harder and harder. Um, there's tons of failure along the way, so learn to embrace it. Success and failure go hand in hand. I have more stories of failure than success for sure. Um, and I think that the frustration where I've seen so many times over and over again is that um, people always second-guess you and your skill set no matter how many accolades you have when you're a female and I get this question all the time this comment it's like oh well you don't look like a chef wow. what is a chef supposed to look like you know like do I really have to masculate myself if I were covered in tattoos and pierces with 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 that legitimize me or something or if I cut all my hair off would that legitimize me you know, and um, so people see you and they automatically cast judgment um, and, and the way that you're perceived is, is always um, a battle, you know, and when you're a female, they automatically assume that in order to get your investment, like you slept your way there or something, yeah. or you flirted your way there or something, you know, there's always this, whereas like men never get that, you know, and and I'm a career changer in, in this industry, but I, I've, I've done a lot, you know, and there, I have male counterparts who are also career changers who don't get questioned on that as often, you know, and, and if anything, you know, like I changed careers from something quite intense and hard. It's not as if I was like, you know, like a mechanic before or something, you know, it was, or, or something with like, that was also, you know, um, kind of working with your hands or something, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm coming from a, a career that is very hard to, to switch into going the other way, you know. Um, and so I feel that like, I don't know, like as a female, you just, you just get, 
you just don't get taken as seriously. Yeah. And um, you're always having to prove yourself all the time. And I couldn't agree with you more. I am very similar to you. I'm also a career change. I'm going to call ourselves career changers. Yeah. You know, I I still am, but my career is, is a photographer. Mm. That's what I've done for 11 years. And then I started creating sexy food three years ago. Yeah. And the amount of people that still, to this day, don't believe like understand what I'm doing or don't realize that it's okay for me to perhaps one day put my cameras down and em and embark on this new journey like yeah. that's okay and I think I think in in some aspects we're becoming a lot more acceptable as as a generation that we are going to do different things in our lives but also there's still a long way to go with it's okay to do that and mm -hmm. I don't need to prove it to anyone. I'm Absolutely. doing this for myself first and foremost. I'm not trying to show anyone else yeah. along the way because that doesn't mean anything to me. Definitely. As long as I'm happy and, and still wake up every day and love what I do, that is enough. Absolutely. And then if yeah. I have some fans on the side, that's obviously a bonus. Yeah. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, definitely. So tell me, what is your f favorite Korean dish? Sundubujige, it's a silken tofu seafood soup. It's spicy. Oh, God, you went right in there. You knew oh, I know straight it. away. Yeah, it's my favorite thing. <laughs> my favorite thing to eat. And when you are at home, what are some of your specialities to cook? I cook a lot of fish. Okay. I, I'm uh, very happily pescatarian. I, I am an omnivore, but I, I gravitate towards fish. Yeah. And I love tofu. Love it. Same. Love tofu. And I still think underrated. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in Asia, tofu is a food in its own right, yeah. and we mix it with meat. It's not a vegetarian mm. thing at all. Mm. It's it's um, it's often mixed with, with, with meat, and it's mixed into uh, many different things. Yeah. Okay. Mm. And looking back on your life and current day, how would you say your relationship with food is? Oh, I love food. I absolutely love food. Food is one of the greatest joys in life. Um, and I, I um, yeah, no, I love to eat. I love to explore cultures through the lens of food also. Mm, absolutely. That's why I'm here right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I always finish my conversations with a few quick fire questions. Mm -hmm. So this podcast is sponsored by Gorillas. If you were stuck at home and you were desperate to make a meal because you were starving, what three ingredients would you order? And you I get instant ramen noodles, eggs, and um, spinach. Oh, nice. Yeah. Done. And I put it all in there. Love that. Yeah. So you're cooking the egg in, in the, the, in in the, the broth noodles. and the, oh, yeah. delicious. Perfect. Yeah. I'm coming over, I'm coming over <laughs> for your emergency <laughs> meal. So good. What is the craziest food you've ever eaten? Oh, gosh. A deep fried... Well, there are a number of things. Um, I would say deep fried starfish. Wow. Yeah. I've never had that answer before. Yeah. China. Gosh. Yeah. Explain, on a stick. explain everything. It had like I honey need to, on it or something. I need to know the just consistency. Really just really hard and crispy. Didn't All know. the way through, it's hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can you, what can you liken it to? What does it taste like? Did it? I mean, there was honey on it, so okay. it just tasted a bit sweet, you know, but okay. yeah, yeah. Wow. That's yeah. an interesting one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's been your most memorable meal? Oh, I like simple food. So I actually just, just love like, you know, having fresh fish just drizzled with local olive oil and kissed with, with lemon on, on, a, on the beach and, a, oh, yes. you know, with just like a seafood shack or something oh, like yeah, that. Perfect. Yeah, those I'll, are the I'll best. I'll take that any yeah. day. 
My favorite snack of all time is a packet of crisps. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite flavor of crisps and why? Pringle sour cream and onion. Oh, she was a get. You're right <laughs> in there. She knows what she oh, wants. Totally. Yeah, I could eat that entire can. It's like really? yeah, completely. And what whenever- is it about them that you like? I don't know. They're just like so artificial. They're so good. <laughs> They're just like, there's so much MSG in it. And like, and you know, like they usually have those like mini cans in the hotel, yes. like mini bar. I'm always like, Ooh, do I eat it? Do yes. I eat it? And I'm like, Oh, I'm going to pop that open. Do you know what's so funny? I'm in the sixth season of this podcast. Yeah. And in this season alone, you are the second person to give Six. me the same answer. Pringles, sour cream and onion. And no one has, no one has ever said Pringles in Pringles six seasons. Best. It's crazy, it's and but I, I'm yeah. Tra- yeah, that's so funny. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Okay, what food sums up happiness for you? Gosh, um, sushi. Okay. Mm. And what are love we talking sushi. here? Are we talking like nigiri? Are we talking like a hand roll? What are uh, we talking? Yeah, I mean all kinds. I mean I love like a good chutoro with some scallions or maybe a spicy tuna roll yeah. or something. But I really love sushi, but yeah. very very fresh. Yeah. Where would you eat sushi in London? Um, I um, I think that um, Yashin is very good. Yeah, um, I know it. In, yep. in Kensington. Yeah, in Kensington. I also, I mean, there's a, a, a really good kind of cheap and cheerful place around the corner for me in Marlebone called Kokoro. I also like Chisu, which is also across the street from me um, in Mayfair. Uh, is it Izakaya? Um, I love a place a little bit more high end across the street from Claridge's called... Um, Aikida, yeah. Nice. Yeah. So it's I all love good sushi. Stuff. sushi. Love it. Brilliant. Love it. Another thing that you can also share and enjoy mm, with someone, you know, definitely. it's one of those sort of, yeah. those little picky things. Yeah. Final question. Live to eat or eat to live? I live to eat. Yeah. <laughs> A woman after my own heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Judy, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so Thank much for hosting you. me in your fabulous restaurant. Thank you. You can follow Judy on social media at Judy Jew Chef. And until next time. Thank you. Happy eating. Thank you for tuning in. If you love what you hear, please subscribe and review. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Crazy Sexy Food and check out the Crazy Sexy Food YouTube channel. Until next time. Bye.